It's been 30 years since our first Sunday here in this worship center. Through its history, we have seen God move in so many unexpected and amazing ways. This building has been a setting that God has used for His work and His glory. Marriage vows have been made, children have been dedicated to the Lord, we've given our hearts to God, and have followed Christ in baptism. We've celebrated lives well-lived, and we've mourned for those lost too soon. In this building, we've worshiped our mighty God and changed the world with generous giving. But before any of these things could happen, we needed a building. It all started with God giving our former pastor, Dr. Ted Cole, a vision to build a much larger worship center that would accommodate our growing congregation. Not only did Dr. Ted hope to grow the church here in Pomona, but he also envisioned the larger congregation having the ability to increase our giving towards mission work around the world. Under the leadership of Dr. Ted and others, our church was growing rapidly and had reached capacity in our former building on the corner of Holton Gary. On February 28, 1977, God provided our church with a gift that would secure our future growth. A member of our church, Don Collins, was employed by California Portland Cement, which owned a large parcel of land in San Dimas. This land was no longer needed by the company, so they generously donated this 284 acres to our church. Initially, we pursued the idea of building a whole new campus on that property, but it became clear that this was not God's plan for us. In the summer of 1985, we sold the land to Southmark Pacific Corporation for $3 million. These funds were used to launch the building of the new worship center, and we broke ground on August 10, 1986. Individual church members, classes, and life groups all committed to financially invest in the project. One of our Sunday morning classes worked together to raise funds to donate the large stained glass baptistry window. Former executive pastor Dennis Endert worked with the contractor to oversee the building. The construction of the new building was an enormous project, which even required the permanent closure of a section of Pasadena Street that ran through the property. Dennis recalls that the carpet company was having trouble completing the installation by the deadline, and Dennis was worried we wouldn't have carpet for the opening celebration. They worked through the night on Saturday so that on Sunday morning, November 29, 1987, we had carpet for our first service in the new building. That morning, the city of Pomona closed off Gary Avenue, and the congregation, led by the choir and Pastor Willie Lucas, walked from the old building on the corner of Holton Gary to the new building at 601 North Gary Avenue. Although we received $3 million in the sale of the Via Verde property, we needed a total of $6 million to build the worship center. We financed the additional $3 million, which left us with a mortgage of approximately $30,000 a month. We began to face challenging times due to city changes, leadership, and economic hardships. Through it all, our congregation remained committed to our church. Many members purchased special bonds which sustained us through extreme financial times. These bonds were designed to be repaid to church members after a certain amount of time. However, many of these members generously donated their bonds back to our church. 
In 2000, we were able to pay off the debt on the building and celebrated by burning the mortgage. What a day that was. Over the years, God has continued to bless Purpose Church, and we have continued to grow under the leadership of Pastor Glenn Gunderson. As we've had opportunity to purchase additional properties in our neighborhood, we've done so in order to expand our campus and grow our ministries. When we purchased the property off Gary, that's now the North parking lot, there was some doubt that we would ever need that property or that much parking. But today, we wouldn't be able to hold multiple Sunday services or host the numerous special outreach events that we do without that parking lot. When we first moved into this worship center, we only had one service. Yet, over the years, under the leadership of our dear Pastor Glenn, and through the commitment of this congregation to sharing their faith and inviting their oikos, we grew from one to two to now three Sunday morning services. Through the years, we've hosted thousands of worship services, weddings, funerals, and special events in this building. It's clear that God called our church to this community. We've faced some challenging times, yet God has sustained us. We are growing and thriving. Let's not only celebrate what he's done in the past 30 years, but also look forward to what he will do in the future as we strive to see everyone, everywhere, following Jesus. Let's hear it for what God has done. Woo! <laughs> and you are the heroes of that video. Whether you've been here for 50 years or 50 months or 50 days, you are the, you're the, you are the ones that God called to this time and this place for such a time as this to be used by God here in the heart of the city of Pomona and in the Inland Valley in our particular section of Southern California. And so I want to talk about Purpose Church, a 147-year story of taking risk. I want to look at the life of Nehemiah and how God led him to be a risk taker. And then how we can learn principles for our personal Christian lives. In your life, there are certain things that God has called you to do. And we can learn from Nehemiah to apply those risk-taking principles in our lives as well. As well as us as a church, how God has worked in that way through different risks uh, down through the different chapters of our church's life. So chapter one is the risk of responding to the need. It is risky to see a need, to open your heart to a need, and to respond uh, to that need. Uh, Nehemiah was a man, lived around 445 B.C. and 586 B.C., about 25, 2600 years ago. Uh, what is today the nation of Iraq came and destroyed Israel. There's been tension in that part of the Middle East from day one. And they came and destroyed Jerusalem and tore down its walls. Now it's 141 years later, 445 B.C. And uh, Nehemiah is a civic official, part of the executive team, the right-hand man to King Artaxerxes, the king of the Persian Empire, what is today the nation of Iran. And God raised him up to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah 1, verses 1 through 4, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. 
The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And you've done that in your life, haven't you? Your heart has been opened up. Maybe the Christmas boxes or, or maybe some area, other area of ministry. And your heart has just been opened up to that. And, and you've wept for a particular need. And you opened yourself up. And it's risky to open your heart and respond to needs. But that's what you've done as a Christ follower. And that's what Nehemiah did. Uh, In 1870, 147 years ago, five people in this area decided that, believed, they opened their heart that God needed a church here in the Pomona area. They actually started to meet in what was called the Spadra Schoolhouse, uh, which is today just east of the 57. The schoolhouse is no longer there, but that's where it was located. And so these five people began to meet, the risk of responding to the need. And then chapter two of our church's life is the risk of the big ask. Uh, After you have a need that you see and you open your heart to that need, now comes that scary part, the risk of the big ask. Nehemiah 2, verses 1 through 6. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him. It's a good idea. You want to ask somebody big? Bring wine with you before uh, you ask them. I didn't just say that, did I? At a celebration of a Baptist church. Uh, so maybe we'll do that for our next fundraiser. I'm not going to tell that joke anymore the rest of the morning. Uh, <laughs> when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I'd not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. He was taking a huge risk here. As a matter of fact, you could be executed for being sad in the king's presence back then. So verse 3, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Oh my goodness. The most powerful man in the world just said, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. He did one of those blast prayers. You know, those, those ones that just pop up. You know, you've done it as a student. You look at the exam. You didn't study anything on it. Lord, help me. You know, you're in the business presentation, and it turns out all of a sudden your, your PowerPoint material, your slides are not working. Oh, dear Lord, help me. Just one of those quick prayers. You run into somebody you didn't think you were going to run into that day. Lord, help me. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And verse 5, I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. The risk of the big ask. I've kind of put down under each chapter what our church tended to be known by, Spodra Baptist Church, now during this longer period, First Baptist Church of Pomona, later kind of had the nickname Pomona First Baptist or PFB, now Purpose Church, so you'll see that I kind of put what it was known by uh, for the most part during that particular period. Uh, 1883, this little group of five people outgrew the schoolhouse, so they raised money for a new building at 4th and Park here in Pomona. And according to the history of the church, the people were so generous in giving to this project that the pastor had to get up and beg them to stop giving to it. 
He said, you gave enough. Stop it already. We've got enough to do this. By 1910, they had grown to 300 members. And, and they needed a bigger structure than this. And 300 members. And the city of Pomona was growing north at that time. It mainly was south. It was growing north. And so they said, you know what we're going to do? We're not going to go to where the population currently is. We're going to where it's moving towards. And people thought they were insane for that. Because Holt and Gary, which was going to be their new location, Holt and Gary was out in the boondocks. It was in the country. As a matter of Holt and Gary was surrounded by a blackberry patch. Can you imagine leaving church today and going out and pick some blackberries before you go home? This area was surrounded by a blackberry patch. So they said, you are crazy. You're so far out of town. Nobody lives out there. You're out in the boonies. You're surrounded by a blackberry patch. But this is not the biggest reason they thought those people were insane. Had 300 members, they built a new structure on Holt and Gary that would seat 1,000 people. 300 members built a, a sanctuary that would seat 1,000 people. And people said, you're insane. You're never going to fill that thing. Uh, but you know, the first day they met in there, uh, newspapers from that time tell us it was the largest indoor gathering in the history of the city of Pomona. And so the risk of the big ask of the people, first moving to Fourth and Park, and then moving to this particular structure. Now chapter 3 is the risk of the great project. Uh, Nehemiah 2, verses 11 through 13. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Um, next verse. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. The risk of the great project. Uh, between 1911 and 1987, primarily known as First Baptist Church, of Pomona. Uh, it grew significantly. We grew significantly during that time. Now, there were many wonderful pastors, but the greatest growth happened under the leadership of Dr. Ted Cole, and he was here for 28 years. I am now in my 24th year, and my dream is to break his record before I, I retire. I don't know if you guys will have me for another four years, but if you can put up for just four more years, I can break the record there, you know. So, now, the church under his leadership, just a tremendous national leader, um, and just explosive growth. And they outgrew the thousand-seat sanctuary. And so they're like, where are we going to get the money to build something even bigger than a thousand-seat uh, worship center or sanctuary? And like a lightning bolt, God provided that particular need. Just out of the blue, these 284 acres in San Dimas are, are donated to the church. Now, first... We thought that meant that God wanted us to relocate 
uh, to San Dimas. And yet God closed that door and then made it very, very clear that we were called to stay until Jesus returns in the heart of Pomona, uh, right here where we are. That's what God had called us to do. And so we took the money from that sale and built the sanctuary, the 2,000-seat worship center uh, that you're sitting in right now. The risk of the great project. And now we come to chapter 4. The risk of changes to overcome the halfway, what I like to call the halfway syndrome. Uh, The risk of changes to overcome the halfway syndrome. Nehemiah 4, verses 1 through 3. When Sanballat, this is an enemy, and there is tension in that part of the Middle East as there is today. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria... He said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they're building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. And then skipping to verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height. For the people worked with all their heart. They built it until it reached half of its height. And then if you read the remaining verses of chapter four, and I'd encourage you to read those on your own. It's the best book, a chapter on leadership um, in the Bible, and really one of the best chapters on leadership of any book I've ever read is to continue reading that. You'll see all the trouble that came and the things that would discourage them to keep them from uh, finishing the work. But they got halfway through and discouragement set in. Now that applies to our personal lives. It's halfway through something when you usually get discouraged. If you're a student, it's halfway through a class when you get discouraged. It's halfway through your education between your sophomore and junior year. That's when discouragement sets in. Uh, Maybe it's halfway through recovery from an addiction. Uh, You have an addiction you've been fighting. You're halfway through recovering from that. That's when discouragement sets in. Maybe you got a project at work. Halfway through is when you get discouraged. Halfway through rebuilding your marriage. Maybe halfway through your marriage is when discouragement sets in. And there's that halfway syndrome. Uh, That's when discouragement uh, comes. And that's what had happened for them. They got half the wall built, and then so much opposition, so much trouble, so many difficulties that the work stopped halfway done. And the same thing happened to us in our church. Uh, During this chapter of our church's life, we had a crisis in 1993. Um, we, because of the large mortgage we had taken to pay the remainder of this building, it was a huge mortgage for back then. And then the congregation began to dwindle in size. Uh, fewer people attending, fewer people in membership. It began to dwindle in size. And the main problem was the church had not recalibrated in order to reach a new generation. It was primarily a, a builder church, a World War II generation church, and had not made the pivot to be able to reach uh, baby boomers. And so it went through a crisis period, and we were six months from bankruptcy. Six months from bankruptcy. And that was a blessing from God for us, because you're willing to change when you're six months from bankruptcy. There's a verse, a rough paraphrase of a verse in Proverbs that says, sometimes you don't change when you see the light, but when you feel the heat. And I don't change in my life very much when I see the light, but I do change when I feel the heat. And we felt the heat. And you know what? We learned a very very important lesson. And I think it's a lesson that carries through to the present. And we've got to protect that lesson and remember that lesson that we learned in 1993. And this is what we learned. 
we learn that the message never changes, but the methods of sharing the message can change. The Bible never changes. This is God's word. Uh, We will not water it down one bit. Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The gospel of Jesus Christ never changes. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The message will never change. But sometimes, generation to generation, as the culture changes, and as we attempt to reach each new generation, sometimes, even though the message doesn't change, the methods of reaching people need to change. And we learned that lesson the hard way, almost lost the church over it in 1993. Now, it was not just us. Churches all across America continue to struggle with that. Very few churches make the successful transition from reaching one generation to reaching the next generation. And you know, I actually have a theory that the more successful you were at reaching a particular generation, the harder it is to give up that methodology and to go on to reach a new generation. Our church, literally, it's not an exaggeration, was one of the most effective churches in America in the 50s, 60s, and 70s at reaching that generation. There was no, no stronger church, no better church at reaching that generation than our church, which made it harder to give up the old in order to reach to the new. The day I stopped being a Dallas Cowboys fan is the day they fired Tom Landry. Anybody remember back then? Okay, I'm the only one. All right, here. This is ancient history, but I love Tom Landry. How many remember Tom Landry? Okay, Tom Landry was the classiest guy in the world, just loved him, and he won Super Bowls. But then he got to the 1980s, won Super Bowls in the 70s, but when he got to the 1980s, he was still coaching in the 80s the way he was coaching in the 70s, and they began to lose. And they replaced him with this scummy Jimmy Johnson, you know, became their coach. And I was so mad. But it was exactly the right thing to do. And they began to win Super Bowls again. Why? Because Jimmy Johnson was a 1980s coach in the 1980s. And so sometimes the more successful you are at a certain stage of your history, the harder it is to give it up. You say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why would we? This has worked for so long, so well. And this happens to companies. It happens to nations, it happens to organizations, and it happens to churches. It can happen to us individually as well. And so we learned that lesson in 1993 and started a contemporary worship service, um, began under Pastor Jay Walden and some of the original band. I'm trying to remember who they are as the morning goes on, uh, Juan Amaral and uh, um, P. Morris said he came later. Uh, John Carney, I believe, was the drummer back then. Danae Popovich was on the worship team. Janet Gifford on the worship team. I'm probably leaving out way more than I'm mentioning. But that first contemporary praise band that we had here in 1993 for that first contemporary service, and then our church began to grow once again because the message didn't change. We changed the methods in order to reach a new generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we learned that lesson. There were other risks that we learned during that time period as well that I didn't put in your study outline. Probably the biggest risk of all was to go and get somebody in their 30s from Homer, New York to pastor this great church. And whenever I go back, whenever I go back to Homer, I am like, what were they thinking? I would not do the same today. I wouldn't hire anybody out of there, okay? I'd say you're just culturally too different. What can a Homerite know about Southern California, you know? And uh, I'm just so, so grateful uh, that you took uh, that risk, probably the biggest risk of all. But then there was another risk I didn't put in here. And I think this is maybe the most important one of all. And that's the risk that when you give away something, God will always bless you with more of that thing. 
When you give away something, God will always bless you with more. And you see that through the church planting that went and the missions giving that went from our church. This church has always been incredibly a leader in, in missions giving and in giving to outreach within our community, the clothing ministry, the homeless ministry, um, the, the furniture ministry, and the, and, and the food ministry, and, and the after-school tutoring ministry, and all the different ministries. And we have found that when we give away energy, God gives us more energy back again. Uh, when we give away money, God gives us more money uh, once again. When we give away key leaders, every time we've given away a key leader to start a church somewhere like Josh Hoosman in Indiana or, or Jeff Snodgrass in Pasadena or the list just kind of goes on of all the, the great leaders that have come out of here. Whenever we give away a great leader, God raises up a new leadership. And then maybe the hardest one of all is when we've done church plants that have been near to the church. And when you give away people, God always fills that in. We're seeing him do that with Claremont right now. That is, you know, a couple hundred people went to help start the Claremont campus, and God's beginning to rebuild this and refill it in once again. He did that years ago when Hillside, up in Rancho Cucamonga, a bunch of people from our church went there to start Hillside. We've seen this with the church plants that have been nearby, that whenever you give away people, God responds as well. Here's a list of 20 uh, three different church plants that we've, there's probably way more than this, but these are the ones that we were able to research this past week. 23 church plants that have happened through the years uh, from our church. And more than half of them, more than half of them have happened, been planted in the last 20 years, the past 20 years. So we planted more churches in the last 20 years than we did in the previous 127 uh, combined. Some of these churches are thousands of people in size. Some of them are mega church in size. Thousands of people uh, in churches that have been planted uh, out of our uh, church family. You'll see some of them. One in Montclair, Thousand Oaks, Kalispell now, uh, Cam- in Montana, Camarillo, Laguna Hills, uh, Claremont, but the campus in Claremont plus First Baptist Church of Claremont. Carson Valley, Nevada, very large church. Uh, t- two of them there in Carson Valley. Uh, Highland, Ventura, Hacienda Heights, uh, Pasadena with Jeff Snodgrass just started, just had lunch with him this week to see how that one was going. Rancho Cucamonga with Hillside. Uh, Walnut was a, a Chinese-speaking um, congregation. Um, Upland uh, came out of here. Pomona was another Spanish-speaking congregation that came out of us. Uh, we have our Spanish ministry here, but previously we had one that was launched out from us to be a separate church. Four now with grandchildren and great-grandchildren of Mercy Road uh, in Indianapolis. Arco, Idaho, a satellite that receives our uh, sermons, Fallbrook. And, and, and even beyond that, we didn't even get into other nations. When you get beyond the, our nation into other nations, it just grows exponentially. Um, church plant this past year that you all did in Odisha, India, in its first year of existence this past year, uh, 237 decisions for Christ in India at this church plant that you planted just this past year. Um, Hundreds of church plants in Thailand as Mike and Becky Mann follow up water projects with church plants there. Hundreds of churches planted in Thailand. A couple weeks ago, we had the pastor from Zambia here, Purpose Baptist Christian Academy in Zambia. Uh, Two more churches about ready to launch in Egypt that you've been a part of planting. And the list just goes uh, on and on. Just an, just an amazing, uh, amazing legacy. Now, we've done recent changes to keep reaching new generations. Now, this has been harder than 1993. 
uh, the recent changes we've met to, to keep calibrating to reach new, uh, the newer generation. And it's harder because times are so good. It's harder when times are good uh, to make changes because you kind of say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, why would you go about changing it? It's so hard to be ahead of the curve. Um, Wayne Gretzky was asked the secret of his greatness. And he said, I don't skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck is going to be. And that's the key to churches that successfully move from generation to generation. They don't skate to where the puck is. They, sp- they, they skate to where the puck is going to be. That was the secret of moving to this location. We didn't move to where the population was. We, we moved to where the population was moving. And, and that's a harder thing. And it's a more difficult thing to do that because you're kind of like, you know, it, it was so much easier in 1993 when we faced a crisis. Because when you face bankruptcy, you're like, I think we should probably change. And, 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 and we're, we're open to doing that. That was a gift from God. Facing bankruptcy in 1993 was a gift from God. How many of you thought it was at the time? I, you know, those of you that were here didn't think so at the time. But it was a gift because it, it motivated us to do some changes. And, and today it's a little bit harder because uh, God is blessing us and times are so good. A couple of years ago, uh, we changed our name to Purpose Church. And that was a very painful change for many people. And yet our church had plateaued the two years before that in income and in attendance. And after we made that change in the last two years, it has jumped 10%, both in income and in attendance, since we made that change. 50% increase in the number of life groups. 20% increase in the number of young adults in life groups. We even now have a rooted group, a life group on the campus of the Western University Medical School just down the street. Uh, Another set of painful uh, changes. Um, Some of you at this service were impacted by both of these changes at the same time. Past five months, we made some changes in our worship services and in high school ministry. And uh, I wanted to see how that was going. I asked David Brandon, who's the director of business administration. I asked him last Sunday, would you check attendance this last Sunday? Now, it was a good Sunday. But it was up 4% just in the last few months over from the time before we made those changes. If you add in the online attendance, it was up 35%. If you include the online, up 35% just in the last few months. We have 100% more high school students in our worship services than we did a few months ago. We have almost 300% more high school students serving than we did a few months ago. A few weeks ago, uh, we set a record for high school students on Wednesday nights, uh, a record in, in attendance on Wednesday night a few weeks ago. And we will just need to keep doing risk changes in order to overcome the halfway syndrome. The halfway syndrome is always a challenge for a church. And we've got to continue to risk making the changes through time in order to reach generation after generation. The message never changes, but the methods need to change on occasion. Which brings us to chapter 5 and beyond. The risk of walking through the open doors of opportunity. The risk of walking through the open doors of opportunity. Nehemiah 6, verses 1 through 4. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshen, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I'd rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time, I had not set the doors in the gates. Now, this is interesting. When you have a wall, you need to have gates and doors to go outside the walls. Where you don't build walls. You don't build a building to stay inside the four walls of that building. 
You build it with doors so that you can be encouraged and equipped to go out and encounter the needs of our city and of our community. And so I had not yet set the doors. Sanballat and Geshen sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. They were trying to distract him with lower priority things. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And we continue to be distracted, you know, a temptation to be distracted from our primary thing, which is to reach people for Jesus Christ. So I sent, so four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them uh, the same answer. Now here's one final challenge before we close off. My challenge to us is, with this glorious history and this glorious past, we need to continue in the years ahead with the next chapter until Jesus comes back to be three things. Courageous, adventurous, and focused on the lost that Jesus came to save. First of all, we've got to be courageous. You know what happens to, to churches, organizations, anybody, people, individuals, to us? The more we get the less courageous we become because there's more to lose. I mean, when you're, when you're small and there's not much property and there's not much building and there's not much square footage and there's not much staff and there's not much of a budget and there's not much of an income and there's not a, a, a large church, you're willing to just like gamble it all, put it all on the line. I probably shouldn't be using Vegas terms here, but I've already talked about serving wine to people you want to influence, so let's just go the whole way. Um, you, you know, it's, it's, it's easier, the less there is, you know, it, it's easier to bet $10, I imagine, theoretically, than it is to bet $10,000, okay? And so we've got to stay courageous. We've got to continue to be willing to bet it all and do it again and again and again. Let's stay courageous. And now since it's 1987, we're going to have old-fashioned Baptist amens after each of this. So we need to stay courageous. And you all said, amen. Amen. We need to stay adventurous. Here's another thing that happens. The more history you have, the less adventurous you become. Just look at us in our personal lives. How many of you are less adventurous than you were in your teens and in your 20s? How many of you were stupider back then as well, okay? So the more history we have as a church, there's a tendency to not be as adventurous. We need to stay adventurous. And all the old-fashioned Baptists said, amen. And then we need to stay focused on the lost. Here's the problem. The more infrastructure we get, the more complicated our ministry gets, the larger it is, the more property, the more buildings, all that. It's so easy just to devote our time and energy, the massive parts of it, to just keeping the mechanism working. We've got to stay focused on that one lost sheep. Jesus said, take good care of the 99 sheep. He said, take good, in the walls, behind the walls, you take good care of them. But always keep your focus on the one lost sheep. We've got to stay courageous, we've got to stay adventurous, and we've got to stay focused on the lost. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the glorious history of this church. I am so honored to be the pastor of this wonderful, wonderful group of people. And yet, Lord, please help us when new opportunities come. I don't know what they're going to be, but as new adventures take place, Lord, new opportunities, help us to, to continue to be open to the risk of walking through the open doors of opportunity. Lord, 
Keep us courageous. Keep us adventurous. Keep us focused on the lost, we pray. And we just trust you that as we do that, the best is yet to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said.